Well, over the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been really laying the groundwork uh, for this topic on biblical manhood and womanhood. So we looked at how, uh, in Genesis, how God created man. We looked at how God created woman. Uh, last week, we looked specifically at um, how, he, how Adam received his wife, right, with humility and enthusiasm and gratefulness. Uh, we also looked at Genesis 2.24 last week, which dealt with the first marriage, and we looked at the uh, implications of marital union and what that looks like and what the duties of. We looked at uh, exercising dominion. We looked at the importance of being fruitful and multiplying. Well, this leads us to today's passage in Genesis 3. So if you'll turn to Genesis 3, we're going to look today at the effects of sin, the effects of sin. Uh, Genesis 3, we'll be looking at the first 19 verses. So beginning in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree and in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And that the tree was to be and she also, excuse me, and she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children." Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now there's a lot that we could look at in those 19 verses that would take several weeks. 
But for the context of our class and talking about biblical manhood and womanhood, we want to specifically look at the parts of this text that deal with the effects on man and woman. Now, I want us to see, and it's important that we see, our own sin so that we can more fully appreciate God's grace, right? But while this sin is highlight, this passage is highlighting grace, excuse me, sin, it's also highlighting God's grace. And so I want us to, even as we go through this today and talking a lot about sin, still have the cross before us in mind. So we see in this text today, specifically the first sin committed by mankind. Now, it's not the first sin committed because Satan, as a banished angel, had already committed that, right? And had been banished from heaven and was now in the midst of the garden. But it is the first sin by the human race. And we want to look at the effects of it. Now, some will use the term original sin to refer to the first sin. But that's actually an incorrect interpretation. Rather, original sin refers to the effects. It is not the first sin. It's the effects of Adam and Eve's sin. Specifically, the degradation of mankind's moral and spiritual condition because of that first sin. (coughs) Now, how does the original sin or the effects of that first sin actually apply to us today? John Murray explains human nature became corrupt in Adam. This human nature which became corrupt in Adam is transmitted to posterity by natural generation. Of course, several verses speak to this. We look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.3, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Again, he writes in Romans 3.10-12, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Isaiah would write in Isaiah 64, 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Robert Raymond writes thus, his understanding is darkened and his mind is at enmity with God. His will to act is slave to his darkened understanding and rebellious mind. His heart is corrupt, his emotions are perverted, his affections naturally gravitate to that which is evil and ungodly. His conscience is untrustworthy and his body is subject to mortality. This is a weighty, but it's a true statement about our depravity. You can see already why I'm saying have the cross in mind, right? This is weighty when we consider the effects of sin on us. So we see that Adam and Eve have sinned, and because they sinned, and Adam specifically is acting as our federal head, so now we are born in sin. So the effects of their sin, that is, original sin applies not just to Adam and Eve, but it applies to all who have come since Adam and Eve and will come, including us today. 
So I want to look at this passage today by looking at five questions. We're going to answer five questions. The first, how did sin affect our relationship with our spouse? Secondly, how did sin affect our relationship with God? Thirdly, how did sin affect woman? Fourthly, how did sin affect man? And fifth, why did all this even need to happen? Okay? So first, how did sin affect our relationship with our spouse? Well, look at Genesis 3-7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What a contrast to Genesis 2.25, what we just talked about last week, which says, and the man and wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So why the difference? What's happened? What's the word for that? Sin happened, right? Sin happened earlier in chapter 3, such that now in verse 7 of chapter 3, they realize they were naked. And so they were covering, they were attempting to cover their sin. And so it is sin which has made their hearts and their minds corrupted. Dr. Phillips writes, the aftermath of the first sin is just as destructive as the sin itself. The first thing we note is that sin immediately began ruining the relationship between the man and the woman. The free intimacy of their love relationship was polluted by sin and became something unpleasant and filled with shame. Matthew Henry explains the fact that they knew they were naked reveals that they were stripped, deprived of all the honors and joys of their paradise state and exposed to all the miseries, all the miseries that might justly be expected from an angry God. So they saw their shame before God and the angels that they had once enjoyed fellowship with him and with God in the garden, but now had sinned and stood guilty before him. Adam and Eve before the fall had been open and vulnerable, we could say to one another, but now felt a need to hide themselves even from one another with fig leaves. And so it is with us today. Sin has corrupted our marriages just as it did with Adam and Eve. It's difficult, isn't it, to be open with one another, to be vulnerable at times with one another, to allow anyone close to us, including and sometimes especially those who are closest to us. And why is that? Because of original sin. The devastating consequences of sin. And because of sin, we tend to hide, we tend to pretend, even carrying the weight of shame around. We can only live godly lives with transparencies because of what, with transparency, excuse me, because of what Dr. Phillips calls the twin graces of forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness and repentance. The marital union was attacked with the first sin resulting in division, which still happens today. And is not what God intended for man and woman. Imagine how much better our homes and our marriages would be if we forgave and we repented. Forgave and repented. Forgave and repented. That's part of the message here, certainly. So we see how sin affected our relationship with our spouse. But secondly, 
How did sin affect our relationship with God? Well, look at verses 9 and 10. We see hiding and we see blaming. And the, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, why did they try to hide from God? Verse 10 answers, and he, that is Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we see that sin has alienated man from woman, but sin has also alienated man and woman from God. They felt shame for their sin. Thus, because they could no longer be with God in good conscience, they attempted to hide themselves from his presence. We still do this today, don't we? When you're in a struggle with sin, how often do we flee from the presence of God rather than going into the presence of God? Or ignore the fact that God sees it all rather than deal with our sin head on and seeking to mortify it. How easy it is to quit spending time with God, quit desiring Christian fellowship, even not coming to church. Uh, simply because it's easier to give in to sin than be confronted with it. Of course, we know that nothing can be hid from God. Even our children know this as they go through the shorter catechism, the children's catechism. Question 12 says, does God know all things? The answer is yes, nothing can be hid from God. And yet we try to avoid God or cover up our sin in a similar way as Adam and Eve did with their fig leaves. We know that our sin, though, is laid open and before the Lord. There is no hiding. There are no, we can say it this way, there are no fig leaves that are large enough to cover the breadth of our sin. Well, Adam and Eve not only tried to hide, but we also see Adam blaming Eve and Eve blaming the serpent. We read in Genesis 3.12, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So now we have an interesting turn, don't we? When approached by God, Adam turns his finger against God and against his wife. He says, it's the woman's fault, Lord, because she's the one that actually gave it to me. It's not my fault. It's her fault. And then ultimately, actually, it's your fault, God, for giving her to me. So we see the man blaming Eve and also ultimately blaming God. And the interesting turn is that we had just seen how Adam cherished his wife, was grateful for his wife. This is now bone of my bones. He was enthusiastic. He received his wife well, and now he's resenting her and blaming her for his sin. Really throwing Eve under the bus, as it were, preferring to blame her instead of take responsibility for his own actions. Uh, one other commentary I was reading this, this week spoke to the fact that, in his estimation, he believed that Adam cared more about pleasing Eve than pleasing God. So he took the fruit that she was offering and ate it to please his wife. Well, how does this affect us today? Again, this is dealing with the first sin... We know there's effects from the first sin, so there's effects on us today. We've already asserted that original sin affects us, so how does this blaming strategy work out? Well, instead of dealing with sin, 
men today, like Adam of yesterday, prefer oftentimes to blame their wives. How much easier it is to criticize and accuse them rather than confessing and repenting of our own sin. Pastor Phillips makes this intriguing point. For some men, the conflict with their wives undermines their relationship with God, but for others, their lack of a relationship with God leaves them unable to love their wives sacrificially. Men, take stock of your lives. Is this you? Do you live in conflict with your wife in a way that weakens your relationship to God? Do you find loving your wife difficult because of your lack of relationship with God? Well, before we go further, I want us to go back. We've looked at so far how sin affects our relationship with our spouse. We've also looked at how sin affects our relationship with God. I want you to discuss around your tables just for a couple of minutes, how do we try to hide from God? We know we do this. We talked about a little bit about it today already. But go further in discussing around your tables, how do we as modern-day Christians, seek to hide or hide our sin from God. All right, well, let's move on. Talked about how sin affects our relationship with our spouse, how it affects our relationship with God. Now let's deal specifically with man and woman. So thirdly, it's on your handout, how did sin affect woman? When we read in Genesis 2.16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So we see two consequences on Eve and thus on women today as a result of the fall. Painful childbearing and a desire to be over the husband. Uh, First of all, let me just ask the question. Isn't it interesting that one of the blessings God gives husbands and wives is children? We talked about that last week. And now... Because of the fall, he's going to make it more painful to actually do that, which he has called a blessing. Now, to be sure, apart from sin and the curse of the fall, women would be able to have children and go through the delivery process without pain. How's that sound? Great for you women, right? But that's not so because of the fall. I guess that would mean no epidurals and other drugs that are commonly used today for childbirth. Many women even today deal with very difficult uh, monthly cycles, which are connected with the process of conception uh, because of the consequences and the devastating effects of sin. Now, because childbearing was going to be more painful now, does this mean that women should flee from it, refusing the gift of children because it's too painful? Well, no, for the curse, let's say this, the curse does not change the blessing. Perhaps it's a test to see if we will continue to be faithful to that which the Lord has created as a blessing, although it will now cause much pain. We have to remember that pain in childbirth was not God's original plan, but rather the result of sin. But it's really, when you think about it, it's really a picture of the Christian life, isn't it? It is through toil and tribulation and pain that we journey as pilgrims, but the blessing at the end of our course is 
heaven, where there will no, no more be pain. Well, not only will there be pain during delivery, but the second curse on the woman is that her desire will be for her husband. What does that actually mean? Well, this curse has created much struggle between men and women, for woman was created to be, as we looked at before, an azer, a helpmeet to the man, but now she will instead want to rule over him, preferring to compete rather than complete. In other words, what was once instinctive, that is for man to lovingly lead and nurture his wife and the wife to lovingly submit as unto the Lord will now be a struggle for fallen mankind. Now, some liberals will take this passage in Genesis 3 to say, now all of a sudden we have new gender roles prescribed by God. But nothing could be further from the truth because God cannot, will not, does not change. He is immutable. So the roles that he had already given prior to the fall continue to apply after the fall. Therefore, Blake Boylson writes, very important here, the fall in Genesis 3 presents the distortion of previous roles, not the introduction of new ones. Distortion of previous roles, not the introduction of new roles. Sin always distorts God's original design and desire for men and women. But we see this in marital counseling today. What is one of the complaints from men in marital counseling? They say their wives are too controlling or too demanding in their expectations of their relationship. It's not just a problem that, I'll be careful here, but it's not just a problem that some women have. It's actually a curse that applies to women in general and specifically within the context of marriage. Perhaps you know of couples where there is a real struggle. It doesn't go well, does it? If we look at specifically Scripture, we see Job's wife saying, curse God and die. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? Job 2.9. We see Sarah taking matters into her own hands with Abraham saying, go ahead, Abraham, in Genesis 16, go sleep with my maidservant, which of course resulted in Ishmael, the descendants of whom have played Christians for thousands of years now. It's something to be aware of, women. It's good to remember that this curse is the result of that first sin. But it's prudent to do some self-checking. How are you doing in this category? Are you going over your husband and therefore giving into this curse? Or are you supporting and respecting your husband, trusting the Holy Spirit in his life? Men, you're not off the hook. Think about it in this way for you. Are you men negating your role as leaders, thereby tempting your wives to give in to this curse of controlling? Okay, enough on the women. Let's talk about how sin affected the man. Now, I'm sure you women would have ideas on this, but let's look at what Scripture says about how sin affects the man. We see in Genesis 3, 17... Through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles 
it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dusty, and to dust you shall return. Now, men, this does not say that Adam is cursed because he listened to his wife. It's not a curse to listen to your wife. You should listen to your wife. Let me say that. No, the curse is given because Adam made a choice to eat of the fruit. Adam should not have eaten the fruit, but he also, quite frankly, should have protected his wife, right, and encouraged her to not eat of it as well. Now, some will look at this passage and may be tempted to say that man's work is a curse. This is not true. Work is not a curse. Again, before the fall, man was to work. Man was to keep. This was done in relative peace and with relative ease before the fall. The curse is not the work. Rather, the curse is the difficulty now, the difficulty of man's work. We could say it another way, as Dr. Phillips has written, sin doesn't make things different. It makes them more painful. Well, what is the result of difficult and hard work for the man? Well, it means that men are going to get worn out more easily, uh, dealing with the thorns and thistles of his particular vocation. Because a man's work is very demanding, this leads to inevitably more of a struggle at home with a man's relationship with his wife and children. He gets home at night because of the issues at work. He's done for the day. He's worn out. He's exhausted. And instead of spending time nurturing his family spiritually and emotionally, he nurtures his own appetite instead with food and sports and various other pleasures. And what does that lead to? Well, it leads to the woman feeling neglected because the man's priority is given to his work and then to his pleasures. You see the ripple effect. You see the first sin and the effects of it leading to more and more sin. Dr. Phillips helpfully writes, God's curse on the man draws him unwholesomely away from the woman, even as God's curse on the woman draws her unwholesomely toward the man. God has cursed the marriage relationship with a poisonous desire for control by the woman and a self-absorbed focus outside the relationship by the man. This is what every marriage has to fight against. Knowing these are pitfalls for both men and women, we must pray and pray and pray against it and work our lives around combating the effects of the fall. It takes practice, time, diligently, and more important, the Holy Spirit. But practically, women, be on your guard. Watch your speech. Be slow to speak. Continue to pray with and for your husbands. Men, nurture your relationship with your wife. Do not leave it unattended. Pray with your wife. It doesn't take long to lose relationship when it's not cultivated and not tended. Don't let that happen. Well, fifth, why did all of this even need to happen? Why did it even need to happen? Well, the reason is that before God even created the heavens and the earth, he had a plan to redeem man to himself. We read in Genesis 2.15... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head 
and he shall bruise your heel. Adam and Eve could be restored by believing in this plan of salvation and redemption seen in Genesis 2 and return then to right relationship with the Heavenly Father. The fall in the garden was God's overarching plan for a greater glory that was to be gained through the death and resurrection of His Son. We too can be restored to God by believing in that Savior who has come and will come again, that he bore the guilt of our sin on the cross. Because of his atonement, we must remember that we no longer have to live as prisoners or slaves to the curse. There's forgiveness, restoration, and the power to live without being slaves to the effects of the fall. And yet even now, we know that Jesus himself is preparing a place for us in another paradise, not an earthly paradise like we see in the Garden of Eden, but an eternal heavenly paradise where our sins will be no more. Well, in conclusion and in light of Jesus' saving work on the cross, I want you to think about and even look at on your handout the questions that we began the class with and the questions that we've sought to answer in this class. And instead of the word sin there, I want you to insert the name Jesus, such that how does Jesus affect our relationship with our spouse? How does Jesus affect our relationship with God? How does Jesus, or believing in him and following him, affect woman? How does Jesus, or believing in him and following him, affect us as men? You see, it is through Christ that we can be restored to God. It is in Christ and by, the Lord, by God's word that we have a sure foundation for our marriages. And it is in Christ and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we as men can be godly, that you as women can be godly and seek to live for him and serve him all the days of your life. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we know the, um, it is weighty at times, and we look at Genesis 3, and we see so much sin, and we see the effects of sin, and it's important for us to see that. Father, help us not to lose sight of your grace, which is greater than our sin. Lord, for those of us that are struggling in various ways in our homes, Father, would we look to you? Would we spend time in your word? Would we not ignore the effects of the first sin? And help us, Lord, by your grace and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to live in accordance with your word in a way that would be pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.